Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. Big East tournament is over. We are a few days out from Selection Sunday. And soon we're going to know the Huskies' path to banner number 12. More importantly, I think we're going to know where the Huskies are going for their regional. It's not like we've been waiting to see which of the four places they're going. It's two spots. We've known it's two spots all year. I don't know about you, but I'm very anxious to find out, and I have been very anxious to find out for a long time. However, before we get there, the Big East Tournament, UConn went from, I don't. I think it's fair to say, looking as vulnerable as they have, at least in my memory, to looking exactly like UConn is in March every single time. They just always figure it out somehow. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at that Xavier game on Monday where they only won by nine points and it was about as ugly as the performance, I think, as we've probably ever seen from a UConn women's basketball team. And then the turnaround to Saturday and then the rest of the Big East tournament where, honestly, they kind of coasted to the trophy. After kind of people being like, are they even going to win three games in three days? They They made it look easy. Right. It wasn't even a sure thing. We were even talking about debating, does UConn even win this? Are we sure? Are Is this the year they finally fall? Like, what is this even going to look like? I would like to toot my own torn, horn and just say I'm very proud of myself for saying that everything that Gino said after the Xavier game really just felt like he was trying to send his team a message. And he literally admitted during the Big East tournament that yeah, I just I needed my team to get the message that those excuses were done. We can't use it anymore. Not necessarily that they weren't still playing a factor in. Anyways, that is my small little victory lap there. The emotions, though, I think it's very clear, weren't fake. I liked his quote how he lives west of campus and mm-hmm. he wanted to just keep driving and wake up in California in three days because he just didn't know if he could do it anymore, which... It's just so quintessentially Gino that obviously it was a bad month, but UConn's bad month is not that bad compared to other teams. If you're only losing, I guess, an amount of three games in a month, a lot of teams lose three games in a week. So mm-hmm. it's always funny seeing how Jan- Gino handles a rough game or a rough week or even a rough month. Yeah, especially when one of those losses was a four-point loss to the number one team in the country while you're shorthanded, so not all that bad. No. It's one of those things where you feel like they're just going to flip the switch, and you know that they can just flip that switch. But we had a whole month where it just didn't look right, and in four days, okay, is it really just going to come that easily? And yes, the answer was it did just come that easily. There's not even like one, there are reasons, but asking Gino and the players and trying to nail down how it flipped, they all just said, well, yeah, it's March. This is what UConn does in March. It's like, okay, we we get that. But you just flipped a switch and they were pretty much like, yeah, that's exactly what happened, which I think is incredible that it was that easy. I mean, we weren't at practice, obviously, but from the outside, that is a very easy fix to all of their problems that oh guys look the calendar has changed let's go blow these three teams out of the water not even make them competitive 
that is such a quick turnaround, but is also something that we saw that they were kind of doing in the month of February. They got up for that South Carolina game. They got up for that Villanova game. Still, this was at a different level than those two performances. Yeah, I think that was very clear. The way they just came out against Georgetown and then all through the weekend. And I mean, obviously, there's a couple specific things that we can point to in a minute here that fueled that. But this team, it just looked a lot different. The offense looked better than it has in, I don't know, I can't remember the last time the offense looked that good. And I mean, the defense has really been good even through that rough stretch for the most part, but they were able to just really get it going on both ends of the floor and look like a team that can make a final four run, look like a team that could make win a national championship, which I don't think you could say about them at the beginning of the week. If you showed someone in the days right after the South Carolina game, before the Marquette game, the highlights from the Big East tournament, I don't think anyone would have been shocked. It would have just been like, oh yeah, that's what this <laughs> team does. But the gulf in between those two, the biggest thing that stood out to me about the defense was it was so aggressive and high energy and disruptive. It wasn't just keeping teams from scoring points. It wasn't just forcing teams to take bad shots. There were so many turnovers. There were blocked shots. There were steals. It was really turning everything into offense the other way. And I don't think that's the only reason the offense turned around, but you could see it suddenly got a whole lot easier for them out there because it wasn't just you had to play good D to get the stop. They were thriving on the defensive end and all the pressure was on the offense to score. It wasn't the pressure was on UConn to prevent the other team from scoring. And I know that sounds like it's the same thing, but it's really not when you know, you get that big lead. They never had those big leads in the month of February where they could just get ahead. And if you're a little more aggressive with, with your defense in those situations, you give up a couple baskets because you overcommit one way or, you know, you block a shot and it goes straight to someone under the basket and, and things like that. You're not going to be perfect on defense, but it gives you so much more flexibility to try and make those plays as opposed to it's a two, three point game. You don't want to make that risky move to go for the steal when someone could then drive by you and tie the game. So it really felt like it all fed off each other when the defense started rolling, the offense started cooking. And because the offense was cooking, that allowed the defense to just be that much better. Yeah, exactly. I feel like when I was watching the three games, I was kind of like when they would get like a steal and score, it's like it felt like that was the first time that that happened in a while. And like if they got a good rebound and Nico was able to push the ball up the floor kind of ahead of the other team getting the defense set, it felt like that hadn't happened in a while. So it was a lot of stuff that we've seen them do. We saw it against South Carolina. We've seen it in other games we knew this team could do, but it just hadn't really clicked over the last month. And then it all seemed to come back together in the Big East tournament. And another part of that is they really seemed to limit their dumb turnovers. The turnover numbers weren't perfect, but it wasn't throwing a ball into traffic and getting it stolen away that way. It wasn't a lazy pass that gets picked off. There was some of that, but it was at a much lesser scale than we've seen over the last month. Most of the time, you know, if the pass bounces off someone's hand and it goes out of bounds, like, all right, that happens. If the other team makes a nice play and steals it, 
that's fine. Even there were a few times where they tried to push it on the break and make a pass and it didn't really connect. But there were times where we saw that did connect. Aubrey Griffin had a few plays where they just threw the ball out to her. She ran it down, got it, laid it up. Those are the type of turnovers that you can live with when you're trying to make a play on those fast breaks or the defense just makes a play. It's when they're shooting themselves in the foot that it was really killing them. The shot clock violations, the, like I said, lazy passes, throws into players when there's three others defending them. That seemed to be a big improvement. And that was probably the most concerning thing about February was it was a lot of mental mistakes. It was a lot of uncharacteristic decisions by UConn teams. The decision-making was better. The mistakes were much more normal, even if the turnovers weren't down. And even if it wasn't all 30, 25, I'm not... The last one was 11, but it was a 25-point win. Even if those scores were a little closer, I think that would have been a really good sign of progress in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, they had 13 turnovers in each game, which isn't great, but it's it's much better than what they, they have been averaging. I mean, we've seen, I don't think it's been a while since we've seen a streak where they don't get close to 20 in a game. So it, it did look a lot better from that perspective in terms of the numbers. But also, like you said, it just wasn't, the mental lapses and the mental mistakes that were causing this team issues. And I think that's a really good sign. So it was a 30 point win over Georgetown, a 29 point win over Marquette in the semifinals. My favorite stat from the weekend is if you added up the combined margin of victory, plus and minus from UConn's last 10 games of the regular season, those games were decided by a total of 30 points and UConn won its first two games of the Big East tournament by an average of 29.5. That to me really underscores how quickly things changed from the month of February. Yep. That sums it up pretty well. The big thing that came out of this tournament though, AZ FUD is back. The game day braids were in on practice on Friday and then they were there for the game on Saturday. What did you think of her first three games back? She looked way better than I would have expected for a player that just came back from injury, played in her first game on Friday, and then played in three games in three days. I was extremely impressed, and that doesn't necessarily maybe come through in the box score because there's definitely some rust for her to shake off on the shot and things like that, but... She looked very comfortable out there. She was moving really well on the defensive end and the offensive end. I think she looked great for a player that just came back. I agree. And the best comparison is look at the way Paige Beckers returned last year. She was two games earlier, two games left in the regular season. And yeah, she had that moment against St. John's. But in the Big East tournament, her her minutes dropped substantially with each passing game. I think she only played four minutes in the final. With AZ, it was the exact opposite. Her minutes increased with every game, and she played 33 minutes in the final. That is a pretty significant number. That's probably over what her season average was before she got hurt. It looks like she's healthy. It looks like the knee isn't a concern in her head. And that's exactly what UConn needs. Even if she was healthy, but she wasn't at that point mentally, 
we don't see what we did in that game. And I think her best performance was probably the quarterfinals against Georgetown. And maybe it's a little bit of bias just because that was the most, we probably had the lowest expectations for that one, but she was aggressive. She didn't, what's the word? She wasn't tentative as Gino likes to say. And the shot yet you expect there to be plenty of rust when someone has missed largely the last three months. Yeah. She had those two games back earlier, but that was three halves at most. So there's going to be rust there. We saw that in the first game, she hit her final two shots in the championship. I think she finished by hitting three of her last four from three. So once she started hitting those shots, they started to fall. But Gina said she had two days of practice before the first game of the Big East tournament. They have almost two weeks now. That's a lot of time for her to work on her shot. That's a lot of time for her to get shots up in practice and in drills. It's a whole lot different than just standing on the court and shooting because when AZ's on the court shooting just on her own, no defense, I can't imagine she misses any shots the way she puts the ball up. So I think her return went pretty much as good as it could have. Yeah, I think she looked, like you said, really good. And the shots will come. You're right. Like, I'm not, I have no concern that she's not going to be able to knock down threes when they get to the NCAA tournament. They've got two weeks for her to practice and to figure that out and get shots up and feel ready to go when they get to their first round. So we saw it kind of start to come together a little bit in that last game. And I think it'll look even better as we get into the first weekend. I sent out a mailbag request on the weekly and a bunch of people asked me this question. So I'll pose it to you too. Once the NCAA tournament starts, assuming there's full health around the board, we'll talk about why that might not be the case in a second, but assuming everyone is fully healthy do you start AZ or do you keep her coming off the bench? It's an interesting question. I feel like it might change at some point in the tournament. I think they might keep her coming off the bench to start just because like that's the lineup this team is used to. And there's kind of a like an element to like this team starting lineup is so good as it is. And then like when you go to the bench, there's literally no drop-offs unless the team might actually get better when you bring AZ Flood in. And I feel like this is demoralizing for an opponent. <laughs> right. Okay, we we held him to... We got a nice two-point lead here five minutes in. Oh, and here comes the would-be national player of the year. She didn't get hurt. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that he's going to do that, but I kind of like that. <laughs> I'm curious because Nika's not coming out of the starting lineup. Lou's not coming out of the starting lineup. Ali is not coming out of the starting lineup and Dork is not coming out of the starting lineup. So it really comes down to AZ and Aubrey. And it's really just how you want to start the game because AZ is going to play a starter's level of minutes, assuming she's fully healthy. And if she looks even 75% of what she did early in the year, does Aubrey Griffin maybe provide a little bit of a different look early in the game? And maybe that helps the offense get into more of a flow trying to find the basket and then AZ can come in and plug in and open up the lane for shots or do they like AZ to just be in there right away and you know she could hit three straight threes in the first minute of the game and all of a sudden you find yourself down nine nothing and you gotta take a timeout and the the Gample crowd's going nuts or look wherever they go they're gonna have 
a pretty big fan base there, as we've seen in the past. So even in Seattle, I could imagine the place going nuts if they start out on a run like that in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. Is that valuable? So that's a long way of saying I don't actually know myself. <laughs> I haven't come up with my own answer of what I would do. I think I'd start the NCAA tournament with her on the bench, but if she just starts hitting those threes and hitting shots with regularity and she's shooting above 50% in games, it's hard not to put her in the lineup at some point. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if we'll even see maybe it change a little bit just on like who they're playing because it's kind of like a, a three guard versus Aubrey can play guard or in the lane, but three guard versus a little bit more size with Aubrey on the court. And maybe we'll see them kind of change it up based on what type of team they're playing to start it off. Right. And it's going to be mix and match throughout the game because we saw a lot this tournament that when Aubrey's on her game, she is very difficult to stop. And I thought she had some really nice drives to the basket in the quarterfinals against Georgetown and had a very weirdly known low number of points. Oh, you know why? It's because like all her shots rimmed out and didn't actually go in, but she got to the rim really well in that game. And I think that matters more than it's not as if she was missing bunnies. Like she contorted herself to get that ball on the backboard and it bounces around the rim a little and comes out. That doesn't worry me that much. Agreed. And then she was fantastic in that game against Marquette. I mean, they outscored Marquette, I think it was like 48 to 8 in the paint, something insane. And she was a huge part of that. She was just absolutely everywhere in that game. Yeah, I mean, there really wasn't anyone, especially of the main rotation, that didn't play particularly well throughout the tournament. But this goes hand in hand. UConn starts playing its best basketball and Aaliyah Edwards firmly broke out of the funk that she was in for most of February. She was back to that dominant force down low that we saw for so much of the season that disappeared for a little while. But I think it's just very clear that as Aaliyah goes with this team, UConn goes. Yeah, I think we've we talked about it when they weren't doing well and how she was struggling and now we see that they are doing well and, and she's a huge part of that and I mean, she was tournament most outstanding player. I think that was very obvious. It was really no contest of who should have won that award. And just none of these three teams had any answer for her offensively. And then the other thing that stood out to me is her just once again doing such a good job on guarding Seacrest. I think, I mean, she's seen that, had to guard Maddie Seacrest so much, and that certainly helps. But I just don't think we see anyone else in the country do as good of a job on Seacrest as Aaliyah Edwards does. Yeah, there's a reason UConn looked like the number two team in the country without AZ Fudd. And that's because Aaliyah Edwards looked like one of the best players in the country. And the level that she was at in February, she was just... It's funny thinking about her February compared to last year, because last year she didn't even get a double-double. And in February, probably she had one in like half the games. So she was still a very good player in February. But for UConn to succeed, really with or without AZ Fudd, they need Aaliyah Edwards to be at that All-American superstar type level. And we absolutely saw that in the Big East. And like you said, it's not just the offensive side. Defensively, Maddie Seagrass has to have nightmares about Aaliyah Edwards because... (laughs) 
yeah, she had her fourth fewest points of the game in the championship, but it was really her worst scoring output because most of those came in garbage time when UConn very clearly took its foot off the gas. You, they were already up by 25. The game was over. Those baskets didn't mean anything. So whatever statistically it may have fallen for her, she really didn't do anything until the final five, six minutes of that game. Yeah, I think she had I think 15 going into when UConn definitely took their foot off the gas there at the end. So it was a phenomenal performance by by Edwards on her and really just taking her out of the offense, forcing her into bad shots. And she's still going to get her points because you, she can be perfectly guarded and she still finds a way to knock down shots. But just a really, really strong performance on, I think, what's very clearly one of the best couple players in the country this season. Yeah, and once again, to highlight how good she is, we're talking about she only had 15 points and was just yeah. doing terribly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 15 points. And it's just like, and we talk about that as being well-guarded too, because the, like, the shots that she makes sometimes is just like, you know, all you can do is kind of like watch it all. Right. Oh, great job, Aaliyah. You were fantastic defensively by keeping their team's player to only being the their team's leading scorer in this game yeah. <laughs> like obviously that's not a knock on Aaliyah because she played very well but it's funny it's how a... we have to frame the conversation when talking about Maddie Segrist yep <laughs> speaking of that fourth quarter against Villanova it looked like an old AAC game where UConn would be up big and then it would put the end of the bench in the game and then the score would slowly come down, but it would never actually get close enough to realistically threaten the outcome. UConn was up as many as 25 points. Villanova came back and got it within 11, but a lot of that came in the last minute when it wasn't actually that close. Villanova never threatened to come back. It wasn't, the result wasn't ever in doubt after what, like the first three minutes of the second half when UConn landed a knockout punch on Villanova. But it's not great to see UConn lose that lead to take their foot off the guess, especially with how well they played throughout the first two and three quarters games in the Big East tournament. So were you concerned by the way that they faded by the end of that? A little bit, but it kind of feels like a nitpick the way that they played all weekend and like to have just played three games in three days and to take your foot off the gas at the very end when you're fairly clearly going to win the game. So not a lot. I think it would have been better had they not done it, but I also think that like I'm sure it's something that Gino's going to harp on in, in practice and that they'll fix over the next two weeks. So it's not something that concerns me overall. It does make you wonder why Gino didn't go to the bench in that like kind of last stretch though, because they were so comfortably up and like those players had just played three games, three days, and why not let the bench get some minutes in um, and give them the rest, especially when they took their foot off the gas anyway. So it's not like it would have made much of a difference. I think they do get a little bit of a break because it was the third game in three days and they were up by so many and they there was never really a chance they were going to lose that. The Best part of it is that it's something that now Gino gets to harp on, like you said, for the next two weeks. And it's something that they have to be aware of and they can't just take their foot off the gas in games going forward. So in that sense, it probably helps them. But 
it's a very low concern level. I think the way you described it as a nitpick is a pretty good way. Like something to keep an eye on, especially early in the tournament with, I mean, the first round should be a blowout second round, depending on how it falls. Maybe that could be a closer game, but I don't think it would be anything. I don't think it's going to be UCF levels (laughs) last year. So it's something to keep an eye on, but Again, most of the damage that Villanova did came in the last, like, really the last two minutes, 90 seconds. Nothing was going to happen at that point. Yeah, exactly. I don't, there's not any major concerns with this. It's a minor thing. So I think in the grand scheme of things from where they were on Monday to where they were the following Monday when they won the Big East tournament, like, it's... It's something to work on, but they've already made plenty of strides. That makes you not very concerned about it. Right. It is one blip on an overall very positive weekend. The one downside, UConn started all three games with 10 players. It only finished with 10 players in the semifinals. On Saturday, Caroline Ducharme went out with a head injury, but came back and played the next two days doesn't seem to be of any concern but on monday in the championship aubrey griffin started started the second half and then came out very quickly in the second half went to the locker room eventually returned to the bench but did not go back in gino said that she had some back spasms in the first half he didn't like the way she ran up the court the first couple of times and the way that she looked out there and he just wanted to put her on the bench he didn't seem that concerned. I don't know if that was just a poker face or the way he actually felt, but anytime there's something going on with Aubrey Griffin's back, that's really concerning considering what happened last year. Yeah, nothing about back spasm sounds like a good thing, but I guess hopefully the the lack of concern that he was conveying in the press conference is the appropriate level of concern and it really isn't something to be worried about maybe it's something that's happened already this season we don't really know um but yeah hopefully i feel like it's kind of like we don't really know anything right now so it's just you just hope that she's gonna be fine in two weeks yeah he had a comment that he said i'm surprised this doesn't happen more often and the way i kind of took it was he surprised this what happened in that game doesn't happen more hadn't happened more often throughout the season but I think you could also take it as him saying, yeah, it's happened a couple times and I'm surprised that it hasn't been more frequent. So I am not a doctor as I have long told people on this podcast and I don't know the first thing about back injuries, but I don't think there's any injury that concerns me more than a back injury and back spasms in there are certainly not a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, but I have a feeling we're not going to know much more until we see if she's playing when we get to the first round. So just fingers crossed that everything's all right. Yeah. These 10 days off, or how many days actually is it? So this game is on Monday. Let's assume they play Saturday. That would be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 days off. I think are going to do wonders for this team because we just saw how beneficial four days off was multiply that by whatever the number is. And I think this UConn team should be back to, I don't know if normal is the right word, but just 
tiredness should be totally out the window at this point. Yeah, I think that having this actual break is going to be really good for this team. It's something they haven't had in a while. And I think, you know, getting AZ back gave them kind of a mental boost, but now they're going to get that yep, physical boost as well, with the, the extended stretch off. Before we get to the tournament, we got to find out who's going where. That happens on Selection Sunday. We still don't, you know, bracketology can only go so far because the Big 12 tournament decides to wait as long as it possibly can to happen. But most teams have played, and I know you said that most of the shakeup is going to happen on the 3-4 lines. So right now, what do you expect for UConn on Selection Sunday? I expect them to go to Seattle, and I expect them to be the top two seeds. So four one seeds, and then UConn is the first overall two seed, which would send them into kind of that that four quadrant that's paired up with South Carolina's region when you get to Dallas. That feels like the place to be, too. If you're going to be a two seed, might as well be with the weakest one seed. And, I mean, personally, I would always rather... If, you know, a season's going to end without a championship, when I'm watching my teams, I usually prefer losing in the semifinals or the game before the championship than losing in the championship because I think that is way more painful. So if you're going to face South Carolina, you're going to have to go through them at some point. Might as well get rid of them in the final four. And then who knows what happens then because look at what happened to South Carolina in 2017. They got to the final, they got through a tough Stanford team, and then got to play an upstart Mississippi State team that was very clearly overmatched. Or UConn, back in 2013, they got through Notre Dame. They beat Notre Dame for the first time in four tries in the semifinals. They play a Louisville team that, again, very overmatched in that championship game. So it could be you beat if you beat South Carolina in the final four, you still got to play Indiana in the championship game. But it's possible that there could be a lower seed that's fought its way through and gotten there. And UConn has a pretty easy to pretty easy time with them. So overall, if I'm setting up the board, I'd rather have South Carolina be on the same side as UConn. Yeah, I guess the one thing you lose is the potential that someone else knocks them off in that game. But honestly, right now, I think UConn's the most equipped team to probably knock them off. So I don't hate them being on that side with them. You currently have them with Iowa as the one seed, Duke as the three, and Texas with the four. So it would just be UConn recreating its uh, non-conference schedule in the region there. I love the look of Iowa at number one, though. Yeah, I love the look of Iowa at number one. I think that's a pretty favorable matchup for UConn if that's who they end up having to play to to get to a Final Four. Granted, I, do I have faith that Iowa would even make it to the Elite Eight to, to have to play UConn? No, so we'll see. But I think it sets UConn up well if that's the situation. I'd expect like the Duke-Texas matchup to change because what Texas and what Oklahoma does this weekend is going to change up the 3-4 line, but... If you look at like who I have on the three and the four line right now, UConn's played two of the the three seats in Notre Dame in Duke. Um, and you're you're probably not gonna see Ohio State, assuming that you're paired up with someone that's in the Big Ten already. So they've got a good chance of seeing someone there that 
they've already seen and then the four seeds as well like they've played three of them i believe yeah texas villanova tennessee they play they can't see villanova but still you've got pretty good odds of seeing teams you've already seen the way that they scheduled their non-conference yeah the only one worry i have is duke's defense and their commitment to just play the ugliest game possible the most defensive minded least amount of scoring UConn can play that game, but I think UConn's at its best when its offense is cooking. And I feel like that type of game in a rematch would be a little more favorable to Duke because they've seen UConn's offense before. They've seen UConn's offense at its peak. And they gave UConn some fits in that game. UConn, it wasn't necessarily close, but it was not an easy game for UConn to come through with out in Portland. Yeah, I can see that. But at the same time, I just I just don't think that Duke can score enough to really have a chance of bouncing UConn. Like, they're, they're just probably not going to top like 50 points, and UConn's going to find a way to get over that bump. That's fair. Even at Marquette, they got to 52. Yeah. And that was a grinder <laughs> of a 52, but they got to 52. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that Duke worries me. It's going to be an ugly game, probably, but I still think that they would be fine getting the win. So, with this bracket... UConn would play a lot of teams that they've played in a regional recently. Iowa was the Sweet 16 back in 2021. Duke, was that the Elite Eight or was that the Sweet 16 back in, I think it was 18? They played them up in Albany, but they were in Albany like back-to-back years. So those two years blend in for me. I don't think it was, it must have been 18 because 2019 was UCLA. In the Sweet 16. I remember that specifically. Yeah, yeah, And it was South Carolina and Louisville in the Elite Eights those two years. So it must have been the Sweet 16 in 2018. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because that was the Lou back year, wasn't it? She oh, yeah, her back so. in on senior day, didn't play in the Big East tournament, or the AAC tournament, and then didn't look great until she hit that three in that game. And Ian got a great photo of the celebration. That's what I remember from that game. (laughs) Yeah, lots of familiar opponents there. Obviously, we don't know for sure what it's going to look like until UConn, or until the actual bracket is revealed. But ESPN's Charlie Cream has UConn as the third overall two seed in Greenville 2 paired up with Indiana. Notre Dame's 3, UCLA is the 4 in that. Why do you think there's a better chance that UConn ends up in Seattle one way or another? I just don't see them falling to, or like a staying at, because in the last reveal they were the the number 3-2. I don't see how they don't move up with AZ Flagback. I think that's a kind of a clear you have to move up type thing. Um, this team is clearly better with AZ5. They played really well this weekend. I think they are going to move up. So whether you think they move up one spot, two spots where I have them, there is an argument that they move up three spots and are the last one, they they end up in Seattle. So it, it really do think that is the most likely landing spot for them. I really hope so. Especially Greenville did not exactly have a smooth weekend during the SEC tournament. Yeah. (laughs) 
So apparently there have been issues with that arena hosting events in the past. You stick, what is it, eight teams in there? Yeah, it just doesn't seem like a great plan. No. I don't really think anything about the two-site regional honestly sounds like a great plan, but that arena in particular does not sound like a great plan. At least Seattle. Like, you could probably go over to Washington and have practices there. Right. Like, maybe that's already set up where that's the second venue for this event where all the games are held at climate pledge arena and you get a shoot around and like maybe a short practice there. But if you want an extended practice, that's going to happen over at Washington or I think Seattle, there's like a Seattle U that's division one. And I know there's a, like the Sounders, not the Sounders. uh, Who's the basketball team? The Sonics, the Sonics old Mm -hmm. arena was down in oh man i'm really struggling on my geography i want to call it tucson but what's the city tacoma (laughs) there's a there's another basketball arena down in tacoma so maybe that's a second venue but like greenville there's Furman. is that or or these teams just not gonna have court time i don't know i feel like the headaches are way way there aren't as many headaches in seattle as there will be in greenville yeah, I think that's likely accurate. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Next time we record, it'll be an NCAA tournament preview. We'll know who UConn's playing. We'll know their potential matchups. We will know which regional they are paired with, and we will know their path to a Final Four, to a national championship, and to banner number 12. So, until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>